Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. Well, good morning. It is so good to be together today. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet for the reading of the word. If you are a guest with us, I do want to say welcome again. We're so honored to have you with us today. And these are the moments in our services where we come around the scriptures. Uh, We believe here at Calvary that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe it is relevant for us today. And so we take these moments each and every week to come around the scriptures to learn more about who God is and who Jesus is and how are we called to respond with our lives to the saving message of Jesus and to learn to walk with the spirit of God each and every day. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open up to the book of 1 John. We'll be in 1 John chapter 4, just reading a number of verses. But let's begin to engage with our text today. Beginning in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these moments and these opportunities to come around your scriptures. We thank you for the opportunity to be together and to to receive what it is that you would have for us. And Lord, I just would pray that in the midst of this season, in the midst of all of the distraction that might be on our hearts and our mind right now, we set it aside so that we can receive from you what it is that you would see fit to give to us. We love you. We worship you today. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. So one of my favorite things about the Christmas season is beginning to watch all of the decor go up on the houses around my neighborhood. For some, it's as simple as a tree in the window, and for others, it becomes an opportunity to channel their inner Clark Griswold as they drape around their house the infamous 25,000 imported Italian twinkle lights. Now in my family, we are a dark green bow on the door White lights on the gutters and the peaks, and then also a Christmas tree in the window with white lights. And while I would like to tell you that our chosen decor aesthetic is loved by everyone in my house, the fact is, my wife has been begging for a multicolored Christmas for a while. So for now, I am standing strong. But I am counting down the years to where I know inevitably my kids are going to join forces with my wife, they're going to rebel against my wishes, and they're going to demand that our house would look more like the one across the street. See, our neighbors, they go full colored lights. Colorful strands across the peaks of their home and the bushes out front. They have a seven-foot LED uh, Christmas tree. They have an LED Santa. They have an inflatable abominable snow monster. They do not adhere to my mindset towards a simple and clean Christmas decor. Now, just in case my neighbors are here, or if they ever watch this online, 
I do want to publicly state that I do like your lights. Really. In fact, I have been looking at them extra close this season, and I have noticed something. See, over the years, there have been some new additions to their design. The LED tree and the LED Santa, they are relatively new. But the new comes along the old. Specifically, the banner that is hung over their porch ever since I can remember. It's a simple banner made from plastic in the pendant style with the words believe on it. So every time I walk outside of my house, I cannot help but look and wonder, what does my neighbor mean by hanging up such an ambiguous sign? I watch my neighbor hang it up every single year, so it has to mean something to him, but I wonder, what? Maybe it's to believe in Santa, or maybe it's to believe in the magic of Christmas. The possibilities are endless. And the more that I stare at the sign, I am convinced that maybe like a piece of good art, it's designed to allow its meaning to be interpreted. See, my neighbor's pendant sign allows every single person who sees it to ask a very fundamental question. What do you believe? Now, without any parameters, this question could lead to endless discussions. For example, what do you believe will happen to the Mariners next season? Or do you believe that the Seahawks will make the playoffs? Or how about this one? Who do you believe will become the next president of the United States of America? Now, before anyone gets even more triggered by what I just said and starts <laughs> side conversations with everybody around you, let's move away from trivial things and let's start to focus on what I would deem of most importance. Questions like, what do you believe about God? Or creation? Or Jesus? Or faith? The Holy Spirit? The afterlife? What do you believe is wrong with our world, and what or who do you think will fix it? Now, for some, belief in God and having faith seem to relatively come easy. Some seem to just possess what the Bible calls a childlike faith. Truth be told, believing in God has been relatively easy for myself. I have yet to, in my 36 years of life, to have a true crisis of faith. That is not to say that I had not had moments of questioning or doubt. I've had to learn and to relearn what it means to be faithful to the way of Jesus. I've had to unlearn or at least re-examine incomplete interpretations of the scripture. But through it all, I have maintained faith in Jesus and I do believe that the story that we read in the Bible of God is the most compelling story to live in and to live out of. And I would imagine that there are many in this room that your situation or your story is very similar to mine. And while some may resonate, for others it will be very foreign. You'll struggle with the idea. Because for you, you do not understand or, or possess this childlike faith. It's a foreign concept to you. To you, faith in God may not only be difficult, but in your mind, you have maybe even deemed it improbable. Your being here today may less be about wanting to celebrate Advent and more about wanting to avoid the guilt trip your family would have hung over you for not seeing little Johnny in the Christmas choir. 
Now for others here today, it's not that belief in God is improbable. You still believe, but you are experiencing perhaps for the very first time a crisis of faith. Now it might be a small one or it could be major. You may resonate deeply this season with the man in the scriptures who looks to Jesus and he says these words, I believe, but help my unbelief. Perhaps you're back from college and for the very first time you feel a hesitancy about being here. Not because you have done anything wrong, but because your faith in Jesus has been under such intense scrutiny at school that you find yourself questioning at least some of what you've always believed about God. Creation, Jesus, his coming, and the future plans for the renewal of all things. See, for some today, you are getting something for Christmas that you never asked for, that being doubt. And if it's not doubt in God's existence, it may be doubt in God's goodness. Perhaps you've spent much of 2023 asking the question, God, why? Why did my marriage fail? Why did my business collapse? Why didn't you save my loved one from cancer? Why have you not yet to heal my body? Why is there so much pain in the world? Why don't you do something about it? What God are you waiting for? Have we not suffered enough? And in all the pain and the sadness and the frustration, you cannot help but at least contemplate excluding God from any of your future plans. And speaking of excluding God, I've got to imagine that there might even be some here today that feel like because of the mistakes that you have made in life, that God has surely excluded you. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time someone found out that I was a pastor, and the first thing they said to me was like, well, you don't want me at your church because I promised the minute I walk in, the whole thing's gonna crumble and it's gonna catch on fire. Now, I do realize that that is oftentimes said in a joking manner, but I do believe that it is rooted in pain. It's rooted in that feeling that you are not good enough for God, that you do not belong here, and that there is no way back in. Now, before we go any further, I wanna pause for a moment. And I wanna say that if you find yourself in any one of these situations, that belief in God has become improbable, that you are experiencing a crisis of faith, or you are doubting the goodness of God, or feeling like you are not good enough for God, I want to say this, I am so grateful that you are here. I'm grateful that you were willing to push through any anxieties that you may have had and that you move beyond whatever may have kept you home this morning. And while I am grateful, I am also believing. Believing that at least, at least in one part, you are here because what your mind has attempted to dismiss about God, your heart cannot shake. That amongst the unbelief and the crisis and the doubt, the fear of being excluded, that there is a deeper part of you that is saying, wait, hold on. There is something here, a longing to be satisfied, a restlessness that must be brought to peace. Speaking to this inner longing and restlessness, Eugene Peterson would say the following, all men and women hunger for God. The hunger is masked and it is misinterpreted in many ways, but it is always there. He would go on to say, everyone is on the verge of crying out, my Lord and my God. So today I propose 
could it be? Could it be that the very reason you are here is more than just to see a choir or to engage in the nostalgia of attending church around Christmas? Could it be that you are here today because you are on the verge of crying out to God? And while you ponder that, I want to make two things very clear. You would not be crying out alone. You are joining in with so many of us who have and will continue to cry out to God. Many in this room have learned even through tears to cry out and to hold tightly to God through the pain and the sorrow and the frustrations of life. That through all the unknown and the confusion in our world today, that there is one who offers us a way to follow, a way for our soul to find peace amongst the chaos, joy amongst the sorrow, and a hope for a certain future. And while you today may just be now joining in in this collective cry, you must also know this, that God has always been crying out for you. He has been crying out to all of us to all of his creation, even in the moments of crisis or the doubt or the insecurities, in our pain, anger, confusion, sorrow, and failure, God meets us where we're at. And he's not meeting us as a distant, disappointed, or disapproving father who is just on the verge of loving. No, he meets us where we're at and he gives us what he is, that being love. See, Christmas is first and foremost about God loving and pursuing us. And the incredible reality of God's love is why people around the world are gathering in churches today to celebrate Advent, the arrival of the one who is love incarnate. Now, while the love of God and its implications for humanity are a theme that we read throughout the scriptures, it seems especially important to John. This is the same man who articulated arguably maybe the most famous scripture of all time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the theme of love continues in the writing of his letter that we call 1 John. This letter was written around AD 90, and it was John's letter to the churches in Asia. And it contains several different themes, but the one that seems most dear and near to his heart is the idea of love. God's love for us, and then our love for others. Now the precluding verse to the ones that we read at the beginning of our time today, John makes the striking declaration that God is love. See, it's love that defines his inmost being. It is in his very nature to love, meaning that not only is he the ultimate source of love, he is also the determining factor as to what love is. This is an important theological concept for us to understand because the truth of the matter is, we as human beings, we struggle with understanding love. In our humanness, love is expressed in a variety of ways, but most often it is established in the volatility of our emotions and our feelings. Because of this, many of us have experienced that heartbreaking moment that when for one reason or another, someone that you care deeply about decided not to love you. And you're then left with those negative and complex feelings of insecurity and inadequacy and loss and loneliness. And what can be most damaging about these experiences is that a shallow love loss can lead to the false belief that God's love is one and the same. That as long as he feels like it, 
as long as you can hold his attention, as long as you are doing enough to earn his affection, then sure, he will love you. But the moment that you fail to meet his expectations, he moves on and you are left once again alone. But friends, this is not the reality. And this is not our God. See, our God, as defined by by the Bible and defined by the scriptures, he is a God of love. It is in his very nature. And love, as defined by the scriptures, looks like this. It is doing the best for another, no matter the cost to yourself. It is deeply sacrificial, entirely unconditional, and it manifests not because of merit, but because of need. So in order to understand God's love a bit more, I want to examine our main text in four different parts. The proof, the problem, the plan, and the pattern. So first, the proof. While the origins of love is sourced in God, the manifestation of love is the coming of Christ. We read this in 1 John 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God's love is not a shallow promise, nor is it another opportunity for unmet expectation. It is not based on his feelings or his emotions. It is based on his very nature. And it is surely not in word only. It is a love that is shown and is demonstrated and it can be proved. How can we prove that God loves us? John says it's first because he sent his one and only son into the world. That we might live through him. Which does beg the question, why must we live through Christ? What is it about our human condition that demands that we must live through another? This seems to hint that there is a problem. Now, if I were to ask, what is the greatest problem in the world today, what would your answer be? Now, there are many appropriate responses because let's be honest, there sure is a lot wrong. I mean, if you need a reminder, feel free to turn on the news for any amount of time. You can scroll through Facebook if you would like to live in misery. Uh, And then also spend any time engaging in a deep, meaningful conversation with anybody in your community and you will be surely faced with the devastating reality of the human condition. Upon a two-second Google search, I was able to click on an essay that was 800 words under the title, The Problems That Our World Faces Today. And I thought that was pretty good. I mean, to articulate the world's problems in only 800 words, that is impressive. But I wanna do one even better. I wanna do it in one word. If you had to choose one word to describe what is wrong with the world, what would it be? I would humbly offer this deceptively small, yet profoundly destructive word, sin. The most common Greek word in the Bible for sin means to miss the mark. Now, I do not want to attempt to oversimplify the doctrine of sin in 10 minutes but I would like to do my best to offer a baseline foundation for us today. The mark, so to speak, laid out by God in Genesis was for humanity to know him and to trust him and to represent his loving rule throughout the earth. All of this was meant to be accomplished within the context of an unrestricted relational attachment between the creator and those that bear his image. 
Then, sin is humanity's rejection of God as king. The relinquishing of the responsibility to rule over the earth on his behalf and the cause of the distortion in humanity's ability to reflect the very image in which we bear. Not only that, but what sin does is it terminates our unrestricted relationship with God, leaving us the endless toil of self-creation and our fatal attempts to determine for ourselves what is good. As one author communicates it, we abandon the security of his presence for the plausible freedom of independence. Theologian D.A. Carson has coined this the de-godding of God. And we de-god when our answer is no to the following two questions. Can I trust the one who made me? And will I trust the one who made me? The sad truth is all of us at one point or another, we have answered both of these questions with an emphatic no. And that leads to this reality, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, all of humanity has attempted autonomy from God, choosing to create our own mark and to follow our own way. We too, like Adam and Eve in the garden, we have been deceived to believe the lie that God cannot be trusted, that he is holding us back from the freedom we need to flourish, and that his ways are not what is best, and surely we can determine for ourselves what constitutes the good life. And like Adam and Eve before us, our distrust in God leads to our dethroning of our very creator, the one who loves us and the one who ultimately knows what is best for us. And once we dethrone God, what do we have left? Look around the world today. It's full of the very human beings that God created in his image, attempting to create life on their own. And we try and we fail. And then we regroup. And then we propose a new idea or a new technology, a new policy. We believe the lies of the politicians who promise that they will be the one to make things all okay. But they always tend to overpromise and to underdeliver. And as much as we may not want to admit it, amongst all our trying and all of our scheming, somewhere I believe deep within us, we know that our ultimate need will not be solved by something that is within us. But ultimately, it's something that is beyond us, something that this world cannot offer. We need something better said. We need someone to come and rescue us. And so the plan, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Regarding the subject of atonement, pastor and author Jeremy Treat says the following, our society is aching for atonement. How can we deal with our guilt and shame? How can we be set free from our past? How can all that is wrong be made right? The assumption in these questions is that we can atone for our sins. But the message of Christianity is not about what we ought to do for God, but what God has done for us. The good news is that God has sent his son empowered by the Spirit to atone for our sins and make right all that our sin has made wrong. See, my friends, this is the good news of Christmas. 
Christ coming into the world as the baby in the major, and then to die on the cross as a man brings about the necessary atonement for our sins. Christ's atoning sacrifice allows sinful humanity to be justified before a holy God, and all of this is not through our striving. It is through faith in what Christ accomplished. The Apostle Paul says it like this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification through Christ brings us the peace that we so desperately desire. And it also serves as our invitation to become children of God. Earlier in his letter, John said these words, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The way has been made for us to return to our at one with God. No longer must we self-create meaning or purpose or identity or blindly grasp for faulty prescriptives for the good life. Our hearts can truly find their home in God. I cannot help but think of the words from that famous carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Glory to the newborn King, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Through Christ, we are reconciled back to God. And while reconciliation ultimately begins vertically between God and sinners, it does not end there. It extends horizontally to the reconciliation between human beings. And that finally leads us to the pattern. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to do what? To love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. See, while the greatest proof of God's love is in the sending of his son, the next best proof is in our loving of one another. The pattern of life for the people of God is that of love. To extend love like Jesus by doing what is best for another no matter the cost to ourselves. But here's what I know. It is really hard to give what you have not received. It's hard to become a person of love if you have yet to receive the person of love. And again, I just have to imagine that there are some in this room that what you need most for Christmas is not the TV. It's not whatever else you put on your list. It might be the very thing that you have not been thinking about, but ultimately your soul needs, that you need to receive the person of Jesus. That you need to receive his love this morning. Every night before I put my kids down, I always pray with them. And the prayer follows a very similar framework. Based upon what happened that day, I'll usually add a couple little variations. But it always looks like this. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Otto. What a blessing that he is to our family. He's so funny, he's so smart, he makes me smile. And Lord, I pray that tonight that he would go to bed knowing that he is loved by mommy and daddy, and he is loved by his brother, and he is loved by his sister. He's also loved by his friends and his family. But ultimately, God, I pray that tonight he would know and he would rest in the reality that he is loved by you. 
And I just get a sense this morning that there are some of you that need that prayer prayed over you. That you are loved by God. That right here in the mess of life, you are loved by God. Jesus says these words, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Friends, there's good news for us today. And so here's what I want to extend. I want to invite everyone to close their eyes for a moment. And if you're in this room this morning, and any one of those four situations that I pointed out in the beginning, if that resonated with your heart, Maybe you're here this morning and you have done your best. But no matter what, you struggle to believe in the reality of God. Or if you're in a crisis of faith right now, that once seemed so easy for you to believe is now as you're growing, it's being questioned by others and now you're questioning it yourself. Or maybe you're just experiencing the doubt in God's goodness or maybe just that feeling that I have, there's just no way based upon what I have done in my life, could God ever love me? If that resonates with anyone in this room, any one of those four situations, would you just raise your hand right now? Yeah. Many people, hands raised, struggling right now questioning, doubting. You can put your hands down. So Father, for those who would admit that this is a little bit of a difficult time for them, Lord, what I'm gonna ask of you is that you would be so kind and so sweet to even right now, would they just begin to have a deep sense of your love wash over them? Lord, you love them. You love them right where they're at. You are not requiring them to somehow fix anything on their own, to make themselves all pretty before you. That right here in the unbelief and in the doubt that you're receiving. You're receiving them as they are and you are loving them as they are and you are calling them to the new life that they have in Christ Jesus. Lord, wherever we're at today, we may not resonate with any one of those situations, but Lord, every single one of us has things that we're navigating, struggles that we're having, things that we're worried about, diagnoses that are hanging over our heads. And in all of it, we come to you and we simply just wanna receive your love today. In your name we pray, amen. So church, this is what I would love to do. I'd love to invite everyone to stand to your feet. And we're gonna sing together in a moment of reflection and of response. And here's what I wanna offer to you. If you are in this room and maybe you raise your hand at the end of service and you're just really going through it right now, if you would love to be prayed for, I'm gonna be right down front and anytime during this song, just come forward. We won't make a big deal about it, but I would love to be able to pray with you, okay? Let's pray, let's worship, let's reflect. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.